Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hello to the podcast of the Stem Cells at Lunch seminar series here at the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine. My name is Daria Belakwastova and I am a PhD student here at the Centre. And today I'm joined by one of our speakers from today's seminar, Dr. Dominika Zizitska. Well, thanks for joining us uh, today, Dominika. First of all, how are you feeling today? Are you calling us from your current workplace? Because obviously we're all, we're not in the same room, we're in different cities maybe even. Yes, I'm calling you now from the Cambridge Stem Cell Institute, where I'm doing my uh, postdoc. Yeah, today is an interesting day, actually, because it's, it's the first day I'm going to do a recording. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to this, to this discussion. That's great. You work at the Cambridge MRC Stem Cell Institute now, right? Yes, I did my PhD in Belgium at Vrije Universiteit Brussel. And last January, before the pandemic, actually, uh, I moved to the UK and started my postdoc in Cambridge. Well, good timing with that. Let's get us started with uh, just chatting about your research. How would you summarize it? To summarize my research in general, I, I'm very interested in the fact that we can use stem cells for biomedical applications. And when I started my PhD, I had an opportunity to work with uh, human pluripotent stem cells that are cells that can basically differentiate to any cell type that builds an adult human body. And it does give a tremendous potential to those cells. They can be used for a variety of, of different purposes. In a way, it sounds fantastic, but there are many, let's say, quality things that researchers need to keep in mind before using those cells for uh, specific applications. And the main focus of my PhD was actually focusing on that, on that quality, meaning that in order to use those cells to, let's say, produce cardiomyocytes, like heart cells, uh, in vitro uh, for future cell source, for cell therapies, we need to make sure that those cells are healthy. Maybe it sounds easy, but actually <laughs> it's, it's not easy. The, the field is still trying to understand how to do it so that the cells are what we want them to be. Yes. And what kind of cells would you specifically like to make sure are healthy and good for the applications that they might be used for in regenerative medicine or other fields of medicine? My PhD and my current research focuses on cells of our digestive tract, but this quality controls actually refers to, to any cell type that researchers want to develop. For my PhD, I was uh, basically concentrating on all the cell types that arise from one, one type of cells during the human embryonic development. This is called endoderm. Uh, so endoderm gives rise to organs such as liver, pancreas, lung, and all the parts of our digestive tract, like stomach, intestine. So I was not developing those organs in vitro. However, I was trying to understand how we can use those cells with this tremendous potential to, to direct them towards this endoderm lineage. At this moment, at the Cambridge Stem Cell Institute, let's say I specified my research more towards the hepatocyte cells, so the cells that build our livers. And here, of course, the cells are more specialized. Uh, we are investigating different things than when I was doing my PhD and investigating the formation of, of the embryonic progenitors. However, some of the, the quality checks 
they do remain the same. So I think the, the final goal of all, all those uh, studies is basically to obtain functionally mature cells in vitro, uh, which can be then used for, for many different applications. That's a very noble goal, I think, because it is definitely applicable to so many different cell types. And so from what I understood from your talk, you start with human embryonic stem cells, uh, and then you try and understand what makes them more or less likely to become endoderm. And maybe for our listeners, you could you could explain how do we obtain embryonic stem cells, like where you get them from and how they how you study them in the lab. Yes, yeah, so these cells they can be isolated from human embryos. So during the human embryonic development, there is a moment when those cells they are just like a mass of cells. They are not specified to anything else as yet. And if they are isolated from the human embryo, they can be expanded in vitro uh, while they still remain this potential to differentiate to all the cell types. The, actually, the field of in vitro fertilization allowed us to, to, to do that because people, people started to culture human embryos in vitro. And uh, some of those embryos, if they are not used for IVF, the, the patients can donate them uh, for research. In some countries, not in all countries, the legislation allows for generation of human embryonic stem cells. And for the research field, this has a very important value because the cells can be really used to, to study a lot of things uh, and understand better uh, human development and disease. Another good point about the fact that people started to work with human embryonic stem cells was the fact that people were able to, to generate those cells artificially from uh, somatic adult cells, let's say skin fibroblasts. These are called human-induced pluripotent stem cells. They do have the same potential in terms of what they can be differentiated to, but they don't come from human embryos, so they uh, circumvent the ethical issues correlated with the embryonic stem cells. And in your research, what model do you mostly rely on? The embryonic stem cells or induced pluripotent stem cells? And is it just because the technique is established in the lab or was it a conscious choice? The human embryonic stem cells are around for a little bit longer than human induced pluripotent stem cells. The induced pluripotent stem cells were first derived, I think, 2007. And since then, the tendency is to use more, more often the induced pluripotent stem cells. Uh, however, the embryonic stem cells, they still remain like a golden standard because this, this process of reprogramming the somatic cells, for example, skin fibroblasts, to the pluripotent state is not 100% perfect. It, it, it does a very good job. And if you take human embryonic stem cells and human-induced pluripotent stem cells and you culture them in vitro, actually there are no many differences. So at the moment, I did my uh, PhD research on human embryonic stem cells, and now I'm working with human-induced pluripotent stem cells for my postdoc. And actually there are no many differences uh, I, I almost sometimes forget what kind, you know, what's what's the source because the cells behave the same. Again, there are many quality checks that those lines needs to go through before they are used in the lab. So, if the reprogramming goes well, then the iPS cells, the induced pluripotent stem cells, can be used equally well as the embryonic. Right, definitely clarifies the distinction and. 
also it's really nice to hear that you can use your kind of skills acquired in one method and apply it directly to another method and they're both equally useful. The ultimate goal is always maybe make some something for you know therapy at some point make those pluripotent cells into adult cells and cure diseases that's that's amazing and makes me very excited for future of regenerative medicine i actually i learned a new word today during your presentation actually heard the term differentiation propensity it's it's quite a mouthful so i always relied on knowing differentiation potential as a term for how well cells can perform their function, you know, becoming one type of, say, cell or another. So what would be the difference between differentiation potential and differentiation propensity? And maybe you can explain the term a little bit more. So it's kind of a new term alert for our audience. Yes, definitely. It's actually something I, I do agree that it's not mentioned often. But it does relate to those, those quality checks that, that are important basically to do in stem cell research. In general, every human pluripotent stem cell line have differentiation potential to differentiate to all cell types of the adult human body. Uh, it's, it's something that those cells have biologically. And this also refers to the, uh, what happens in vivo. Every human embryo has a potential to become a whole human body. But then, because when we work with those cells in vitro, we try to mimic the in vivo environment, but we do not mimic it perfectly. And those individual lines, they do differ in in a way they respond to differentiation conditions that we put them in. One of the very first studies that referred to the fact that individual lines respond differently to differentiation protocols called this different response a propensity. So intrinsic propensity to respond to specific cues. This is also sometimes called differentiation variability. Also, uh, some people call it differentiation bias. However, I do not like the differentiation bias word because bias already means that the line is prone to differentiate to something by itself. Like if when we are biased, we are biased for something. We, we know what we are biased for. So the, the fact that people use the differentiation bias word refers to the fact that at the beginning of the stem cell research, people were doing the spontaneous differentiation. And in those spontaneous differentiations, the lines were, they have a tendency to take one direction so, for example, maybe the cells, a specific line was differentiating more towards, let's say, endodermal lineages, like digestive tract versus the neural cells. So people were calling it the bias. But that was also because of the spontaneous nature of the differentiation. However, if you take a specific line or, let's say, take 10, ten lines and try to differentiate all of them towards one lineage, let's say the, the stomach cells, then each line will differentiate with different uh, efficiency and this can also be called differentiation propensity. That's really cool. So let me sum up. So potential is a term that we use for cells in vivo, so in a naturally occurring in a body, and that reflects how what they can do, saying that if they have a potential, then they can become a certain thing as they differentiate. While propensity is 
only used when we're culturing those cells in vitro, so in a, let's say, in a dish or in, in some kind of format. And then we know that they're more or less likely to become a specific cell type. So they're more or less likely to, to respond to specific conditions in their own way. Yes. And sometimes this propensity is also called bias. All right. That's fascinating. I love terminology, so that, that's really interesting. What I was wondering, so propensity doesn't and is not applicable as a term to any in vivo situation in any like in vivo embryo as develops naturally. Well, one of the very well known functions of the embryo is to develop the same way all the time and make sure that all humans have proper development. So I would imagine cells in an embryo, their potential is very kind of consistent. They don't really have much room to have propensity. Yes, actually, it's a very interesting question. And sometimes I, I, I had some, you know, longer thoughts about exactly what you just said. Because if we think about the human embryo, every human embryo, everything goes well. But somehow when we take those cells which have this, have this potential, uh, we take them to the in vitro environment, they start to show these weird tendencies towards one or the other lineage. And I think the researchers are not entirely sure, but I mean, why in vivo things always mostly go well and then in vitro we do see this uh, sort of like variability. I would answer that probably in vivo the system is much more complex and there are definitely much more regulatory mechanisms that, that are controlling diversion. When the cells divert from a specific path then I'm sure in, in vivo there are many correction mechanisms that are push, putting them back on track Whereas in vitro, it's a simplified system where the amount of cues that we are providing to the cells is limited. And if the cells start to divert from, from you know, the correct path, uh, there is not enough regulation to control it. That's my personal understanding of why uh, this may happen. Because as, as we were discussing, all, all the cell lines, they do have a potential to, to create the, all those cell types. But then you, need, you still need to be able to control this potential. A, a developing embryo, the in vivo environment controls it, whereas we try to mimic it in vitro, but it's not perfect. Thanks for that insight. It's, it's nice to hear from somebody who works with embryonic cells professionally. And it's kind of an existential almost question, almost a philosophical one. And it definitely for me highlights how delicate the system of development and embryonic development is, how many small molecules and small elements are controlling it and how you know fragile it is to how each element in itself is very fragile. But when it comes together, there's so much redundancy that it just functions well. Fascinating, fascinating balance. Balance of life. Yes, I mean, in a way, life is not perfect neither. And um, we don't know exactly the statistics, but it is said that at least one third of, of, of human embryos is lost before they even implant because there is something wrong going on. And the, the nature basically naturally, um, you know, discard those. Uh, and only the one that, you know, everything is on track, they develop further. Yeah, so it has a natural methods of stopping development if it's not going well, 
That's also super cool. Thanks so much, Dominika. That was very insightful and interesting. I hope you are having a really great time in your new position in Cambridge. And thanks a lot to uh, for coming, give us a talk and agreeing to do a interview again. Just a quick last question. How are you going to spend this weekend? Just to tell us, tell our listeners that, you know, we are also uh, real people and we would take holidays sometimes. Definitely. It's, uh, so as I mentioned, I, I started my postdoc in, in the UK uh, almost at the onset of the pandemic. So I, the last spring that I had was, was still during the very harsh lockdown. Uh, so I think this spring I'm finally going to, you know, to enjoy a bit more the, the outdoors uh, of the um, Cambridgeshire, uh, if the weather allows, of course. <laughs> so... Yes, so my weekend plans depends on <laughs> on the English weather, of course, but I'm looking forward to to some uh, outdoors adventures. That's very exciting. Well, I wish you all the best in your adventures. Enjoy. Hopefully, the weather holds well. See you at some point around in the, one of the conferences. Hopefully. Hopefully. Thank you very much, Daria. That was really nice.